We're going to read from Acts chapter 4. Can anybody remember the program where they used to sing the song, There'll be trouble ahead. Do you remember that program? It was on TV, I'm sure. Um, But I can't remember what program it was. But that just about sums up uh, what we're looking at this morning. There'll be trouble ahead. As we look in Acts chapter 4, we've just had this wonderful um, occasion where this man who was lame and was 40 years old and he'd been lame from birth and he'd been sat at the beautiful gate for we don't know how many years, whether it was in latter life or whether it was right from as young as he was able to sit there. But we know that he'd sat there and hadn't been able to go into the temple. And then this day, Peter and John come along and they don't have money to give him, but what they have, they give to him. And they say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately his ankles were strengthened. Immediately he leapt to his feet and he began to praise God. And then they took him through the gate into the temple which he had only sat outside of, never probably ever been into. And it says he went in walking and leaping and praising God. We think we're doing well if we raise our hands, don't we? You know, I wonder when we'll get to the walking around the building while we're worshipping and leaping. Now, don't panic. It's not something I'm going to make you do. But I just want you to know that should you ever feel like it, you won't get any problem from me. All right. Walking and leaping and praising God. And everything seems absolutely fantastic. Acts chapter 4 kicks in. We're going to read. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, they were called sad, you see, because they were sad, you see. All right. Uh, The Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. I actually think they were probably more upset because they were leaping and walking and praising God. You know, it it upset the atmosphere of that place. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many, it says, of those who heard the word believed And the number of men came to about 5,000. So I've been doing a bit of looking at this. I thought 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Now we're 5,000. But actually now we're 8,000, not five. We've gone up to eight. A better response on the second occasion following a miracle happening. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, uh, I've lost my my eyesight, I I knew I needed new glasses. Let me see, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, I've lost it again. (laughs) 
<laughs> I can't believe I've done that twice. Right, let me get this. Da 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 da. Right. By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. Hear that. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, I tell you, I'd have loved to have been in that little discussion, wouldn't you? I reckon it was really interesting. How can we get around this? How can we sort this out? You know, um, what shall we do? What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I have to get a new set of false teeth as well. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them in. And I want you to notice this. Firstly, they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we but, but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. They went from charging them, you know, then they threatened them. And then it says, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because the people, because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Right. Okay. So, there'll be trouble ahead. All right. That is the tenor, basically, of this passage of Scripture. You know, we can be guilty sometimes thinking that when you become a Christian, everything's going to sort itself out and be absolutely okay. It almost doesn't matter what you do, uh, God is going to sort it out, you know, and he won't let anything bad happen to you, right? And there is a truth to a degree in that, all right? God will always work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But that does not mean that we will not experience trial and tribulation on the way. And I want to say to you, the more that you decide to stand up for Jesus, the more you decide to be identified with Jesus, the more trouble you are going to attract. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you're out working in a shop, whether you're working in a school, whether you're, uh, I don't know, an air hostess or a nurse, it doesn't matter where you work. 
The reality is the more you identify with Jesus and the more overt you are about identifying with Jesus, you can bet your bottom dollar or pound um, there's going to be trouble ahead. In preparing, I, I read this. A bishop once complained that he didn't seem to be having the same impact as the first apostles. Everywhere that St. Paul went, there was a riot. And they, everywhere he said he went, they offered him a cup of tea. He just didn't see that he was having the same impact. And we had a guy come to our church on one occasion, and in his testimony, he made this statement. He had asked God for a story that wouldn't look out of place in the Acts of the Apostles. Now, that's a big ask, isn't it? Let's be honest. As you go through the Acts of the Apostles, you've got a lot of things going down. You know, a lot of things happen in the Acts of the Apostles, not just healing, there's handkerchief healing, there's shadow healing, even though a lot of us would struggle with that sort of thing, thinking, oh, is that really of God? But the reality is those things happened, and yet they were also put in prison, they were shipwrecked. I mean, there was a whole host of stuff going on in the Acts of the Apostles, and if I'm asking God and want God to give me a story that doesn't look out of place in the Acts of the Apostles, then I'm asking not just for all the good bits, but I'm also opening myself to some of the other things that take place. When we look at Dr. Luke's account, not just through the Acts, but through Luke as well, we find ourselves confronted again and again with that. Jesus is in his own town and they look to lay hands on him and be honest with you, they were going to throw him off a hill. And all Jesus was doing was just being who he was. And he was the son of God, the Messiah. And they wanted to throw him off a hill. He had trouble. He experienced rejection. He experienced many emotions. He knew what it was to be sad. He knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to have to live out rough. You remember it says that he found nowhere to lay his head. Basically, there was times where they were not welcomed. There were times where he was asked to leave places because he upset the status quo. And when Jesus was preparing his, dis his disciples in his last supper discourse with them, there are two bits of teaching in the scripture which are the longest bits where, in terms of record in single um, recordings of what he was saying. One is the Sermon on the Mount, which is like three, five, six, seven, yeah, three chapters long. And then you go into, if you like, into John's Gospel, and you've got 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 the chapters. And they are the longest pieces of recording where Jesus' teaching is recorded in one length. And in his teaching that is recorded by the Apostle John, he's preparing them for the fact that he is going to be taken from them and that he is going to go and he's going to die and he's going to be buried and raised again. But he says this, I have said these things to you in chapter 16, verses 33, that in me you may have peace. So God wants us to experience peace because in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart I have overcome the world. 
When Matthew was recording, he says this in chapter 10 about, again, Jesus' words. Jesus is speaking to me. He says, brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So in other words... Jesus was being accused not of being the Messiah, not of being the Son of God. He was being accused of being Beelzebub, Satan himself, and coming from the other side, the the opposition. And therefore, if they will do that with Jesus, then they will do that with you. They will find any way that they can to reject you. In this day and age, doing good works is applauded. We've just seen the Queen's Jubilee and they've held a a massive meal for 400 people, I think it was, in a square. Um, These super volunteers who volunteer and give their time on behalf of the community and they are lifted up as paragons of, not virtue, but they're, they're lifted up and praised for doing good work. I want to tell you that is fine until you put the name of Jesus with it then you're just a do-gooder. You're just a do-gooder. And there is a danger sometimes that what happens because of that, especially in this day and age, that we seek to try and disguise the fact that the reason we do things is in the name of Jesus. Because we know the moment we lift it to that level and we say to people, we are doing this in the name of Jesus or because of what Jesus has done for us, that there is a great opportunity that we might be rejected. So it doesn't matter what we do, feeding the poor, healing the sick, serving the sick and the outcast, as commendable as those things are, and they are commendable, and they are part of God's kingdom, and they are part of God's order right from the Old Testament through into the New. So there's nothing wrong with the works that are done. But I will tell you, in this day and age, if you add the name of Jesus to it, all of a sudden it is frowned upon. So one thing leads to another. The healing's taken place, 5,000 people have responded, and immediately there's a battle. Now Ephesians 6.12 tells us that we are in a battle. There is no two ways about it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We need to remember that because sometimes we make things personal and yet it's not personal, it is spiritual. It is spiritual. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. There is absolutely 
It's absolutely guaranteed that when God acts, Satan reacts. So when he acts, when God acts, the enemy will come back. He might not come back immediately, but within a very short time, you might experience something and you don't know where it's come from or, where, uh, or why it's happening, but all of a sudden, things seem to not be going as well as they were before. It's because we're in a spiritual battle. And the moment, the moment that the apostles came to that man and they said, silver and gold have we none, but what we have we give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The moment they did that, they challenged the domain of Satan. It's a challenge to the domain of Satan because sickness is not in the kingdom of God. Sickness, when we get to heaven, we're praying, aren't we? As it is in heaven, so shall it be on earth. Is there any sickness in heaven this morning? No, none whatsoever. When Christ returns... I don't want to get into the politics of what order it happens in, so please don't hold me too, too close. I'm just going to name a few things that happen. I was, when I was uh, uh, applying for the ministry, they asked me what I thought about the second coming. They were looking for me to give them a chronological timeline as to what I thought happened. I said, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> and so they asked me again, and I said it again. Yeah, it's good. I'm looking forward to it. And then they said, you know what we're asking. And I was honest with them and said, well, I haven't studied it closely enough to have a position on it. The reality is, however, I'll tell you what I'll preach. Jesus is coming again. Are we ready? They said, that's good enough. So this is not necessarily your chronological timeline, all right? But the reality is that um, now I've lost my place anyway. What was I saying? Remind me. Sorry? Yeah, no, it was before that. Oh, no, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Right, spiritual warfare. It's gone out of me, Ed, so it must, have, it must be a divine empty. No sickness in heaven. So when Christ comes and returns and sets up his kingdom on earth... Whether he comes and we get, that's it, we get caught up into the air first and then we have a bit of a charge around and then he comes back to earth. However you think it happens, all right? Wherever he is, I want to tell you, there will be no sickness. Because we're told that in heaven there is no sickness. When God is reigning and ruling, there is no sickness. Now, some of you here have experienced sickness. I understand that. Do I have an answer for those things? Not a satisfactory one. I'm being really honest with you. I don't have a satisfactory answer for some of those things. But the reality for me is that when God comes and sets up his heavenly kingdom, there will be no sickness. And right now, there are signs of the kingdom coming because the kingdom is here, if you like, it's now, but not yet. It started, but it isn't incomplete. 
It's not complete as yet. It completes when Christ returns. And that's when we have that fullness and we experience that fullness. But the reality for me is that I believe that in the kingdom of God is God's heart and intent that there is no sickness. And so whenever we get involved in praying for people to be healed, which we should as Pentecostals, we should believe in healing. Isn't that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Healing? Yeah, as well as tongues, interpretation, prophecy, the words of wisdom. Healing, gifts of healing. Gifts, notice that, gifts of healing. When we pray for healing, we are entering the domain of battle. That is why I am not one of these people who rushes, would rush in to pray for people. You know, I think sometimes we rush in to pray for people. We're just too eager to pray. It doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. On this occasion, they walked past this man. They'd walked past him many times previously and never said, never done anything. Jesus had walked past this man and never done anything. But on this occasion, they knew this was his moment where he got a sign of the kingdom or the people around got a sign of the kingdom and he got his healing. Spiritual warfare took place and immediately trouble happens. They upset the religious. The only people who really ever got upset about healing was the religious. You know, the people who received it were quite happy, right? They weren't moaning about it. I'm not sure their families were moaning about it. But I will tell you, the religious got really upset. And Jesus seemed to poke them, didn't he? He healed a man on the Sabbath. I mean, Jesus is really pushing his, isn't he? He goes into the, into the temple and he, he decides to do something when he's not supposed to do anything because it, it will be construed as work. Could have a boiled egg in the morning because that was only part of the chicken that dropped off. But couldn't lay hands on people for healing on a Sabbath because it was seen as wrong. It was seen as labor. So the moment we get involved with healing, praying for people, you are beginning to enter spiritual warfare. And therefore, when we're going to do those things, we need to prepare ourselves. We need to prepare ourselves. Ah, oh, where else? What else shall I tell you for now? So they get arrested. They get put in prison. They're in overnight. They come out. It's all there in the bit that we read together. And then Peter addresses them. I want you to notice some things here. When we do things in the name of Jesus, we believe that there's a spiritual battle going on. There is no two ways about it. But the reality is, sometimes we become ungracious, rude, 
and obnoxious as Christians, throwing our weight around as if it's us who is being wronged when it's not us, it's God who's being wronged when sin's involved. It's not us personally, it's God who is being wronged. And we argue, we argue with one another on mute points sometimes, and we can actually, people can fall out on the interpretation of a specific scripture and all sorts of things, you know. But Peter, when he stands up, even though these guys, he is going to tell them that they are the people who are responsible for the crucifixion and death of Jesus. But he does it with respect. He refers to them in here under their official title, rulers of the people and elders. He doesn't just lambaste them about the fact that it's all your fault. You're the cause of all the problems. He actually does so with graciousness. And you'll remember that Scripture teaches us that we should always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within us. But with what? Gentleness and respect. Scripture also tells us that a a soft word, a gentle word, turns away wrath. It is very hard for somebody to be angry and to maintain their anger towards you when you speak softly. But if you start raising your voice and getting into a battle to, to take the ascendancy, it just escalates. You'll know that as a parent. If you're a parent here and you've had kids, you will know that pattern. You raise your voice because you think you're exerting your authority. And then they raise theirs. Or you give them the reason to slam the door and walk out of the room because they're now upset with you. Their world has come to an end, you know, because you've taken their mobile phone as a punishment, you know. It's come to an end. My life is over, you know. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but we should do things with gentleness and respect, not get into a power battle, trying to exert ourselves over others. At the end of the day, a person has the right to choose or not. A person has the right to choose or not. So they do it with gentleness and respect. They tell the truth however. They say, they tell them, Jesus is the one that you've rejected. You are the builders. You are the responsible people for Israel. You have rejected the cornerstone, the one from whom everything takes its shape. You have rejected him. You have rejected him. Total honesty, but with gentleness and respect. Powerful when we act in that way. The thing that overcame them was the fact that here were uneducated men. And there is a statement in this scripture, in this passage of scripture, which is probably the most poignant and the most important in the whole of this 
particular passage. And it comes in verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation was about earning a biblical attitude towards it. It was about earning sacrifices repeatedly, year after year after year, to make sure that you were all right with God. Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice, Hebrews tells us. He was the lamb that was slain for us. The one that John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. There is no other name in heaven or on earth by which men and women, because the word men that's translated men there means everybody, that they be saved. We live in a politically correct environment these days. Political correctness for me, it's not about us. It's not about the idea maybe that was partially behind it that we should treat people with respect and accept people for where they are. But political correctness has hamstrung Christians throughout the world. Because you say something that is considered non-PC and you get jumped on. When I trained as a social worker, I made loads of mistakes. You know, I came from a Christian background with a patriarchal worldview, a male-centered worldview. And I went on to a course which was 100% opposed to that. And I was continually putting my foot in it. And now when you add that we're not supposed to use personal, is it personal pronouns now? You, you know, everybody has to be referred to by their particular choice, whatever is confronting you, whatever you see. You, but you, 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 so we, we end up talking in a language or you go to say something, you go... <clears throat> What word am I going to use now? Political correctness has hamstrung us, and we need to free ourselves from that. All right? I can respect people that I don't agree with. Just because I might not agree with a particular lifestyle does not mean I automatically become phobic of it, because I'm not. What it means is I have a different worldview, and I don't agree with that lifestyle. It doesn't mean that I don't respect people. It doesn't mean that I can't be inclusive and include people. It doesn't mean any of those things. But we become hamstrung because of language. And there is a real strong attempt to try and reduce the ability for us to stand up and say this line, that there is no other name under heaven or on earth by which men can be saved. In fact, there will come a time in our own country where saying that, you will, you will be challenged for hate crime. There will come a time when that will happen. 
Maybe not in my lifetime, maybe not in yours, but it will happen because that, there is this choking mechanism to try and to stop the gospel message going out. And we must resist it at all costs. Anyway, just to finish off, and I will finish with this. A notable sign had happened. It pointed to the fact that Jesus was the king. They couldn't argue against it. They were upset, but they charged them, so they, they, they implored them, you know, you shouldn't teach in the name of this man Jesus. Please don't do it anymore. It upsets people, namely themselves. Their power base was being challenged. They had the handle on truth, and they didn't like their truth being challenged in the name of Jesus or through Jesus at all. And the result of that was that they, they wanted to just silence them, but they couldn't. These men were common. They were uneducated. I mean, how are they holding their own here? Why are they so bold in our midst? I mean, they ought to be cowering. I mean, we're the big... They don't often see us. We're the big boys in the town, you know? The high priestly family. Surely they should have a little bit of nervousness about them. But no, they make a declaration with complete boldness because they knew in whom they had believed. And when they were charged and instructed not to share, they answer that question so brilliantly by saying, we're going to leave it up to you. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, we'll leave it up to you to make that decision. They had them over a barrel. They just couldn't go anywhere with it, could they? If they said you're not to, then they're putting themselves above God, which they couldn't do. They just couldn't do it. And yet, by not saying that, they're actually acquiescing to what they're saying that we're speaking in God's name and so God gave them the word of wisdom in this there is words of wisdom operating here there is boldness that comes through the anointing of the Holy Spirit be filled Peter filled with the Holy Spirit Ephesians 5 18 be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with new wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And the phraseology is present continuous tense. Be being filled again and again and again and again. Not relying on the last little bit of filling you've had, but asking again and again and again so that there's like that continual supply of being poured in and it's overflowing. I could demonstrate it if I was to pour a jug into another or a a big jug into a smaller jug to the point that the water's going, still going in, but the water's now coming out. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is where we're supposed to be. They honored Jesus. They never backed down. They had been imprisoned. They never backed down. They were beaten later on, and they never backed down. They were in stocks in prison, and they never backed down. So often, we choose silence rather than speaking because we don't want to rock the boat. We're frightened. And don't misunderstand me. I understand being frightened. I do understand that. 
But there's no victory without a battle. And if we want to see victory, if I was to say to you this morning, would you love to see the whole of Wells saved? Would you? Well, few of us would. Would we love to see Somerset saved? Yes. Would we love to see our nation turn back to God? Yes, of course we would. Well, that is not, the victory of that is not going to happen without warfare and without battle. It isn't going to happen. They left. They were released. They couldn't keep them. They had no, nothing to keep them for. And what's the first thing they do? They find their friends back to the community of the king. They go and they find their friends and they have a prayer meeting about what's happened. They base their prayer in scripture. They quote from Psalm, I think it's either Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2 or Psalm 2 verses 1 and 2. You know, why do the people rage, you know? Why are they against you, Jesus, you know? But then they just ask this, that notice, they just say, Lord, give us boldness to keep preaching your word, not to back down, in other words. And notice, and you stretch out your hand and heal. They weren't claiming that this was anything to do with them. Do you know what? We're so interested. Some people are so interested in these days of making a ministry for themselves because they have a healing ministry and they make a business out of it, right? Not these guys. These guys had seen this man healed. He'd come to his feet. They didn't start a ministry. They went back to God and they said, Now you stretch out, you, God, stretch out your hand and confirm the word with healing. You, you stretch out your hand. We'll give you the glory. And that's the circle. Victory or encounter, warfare, praying for the sick, the enemy's response. We then have a choice. Are we going to turn and walk away or are we going to keep going and keep representing God and giving him the glory? There is a release that comes. Then there's prayer and they go back into the circle all over again. You see, when somebody's... You can't kill someone who's already dead. When somebody has made the decision to die to Jesus they can't kill you anymore you've got nothing to lose you're not worried you haven't got a reputation to worry about you haven't got any of those things and therefore there will be trouble ahead if you decide to walk after God as a disciple walk after Jesus the moment you open your mouth there'll be trouble but I want to tell you Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. God did not leave him on his own. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He gave him the words to say. He recalled scripture. Peter used what God gave him, and he came through. Now there were some apostles. James was cut in two by the sword. Other people were 
put into arenas and ripped apart by lions. Gladiators killed some. Later on in church history, some people have been burnt at the stake only to sing the praises of God while the fire burned to the point where they would put a screw through the bottom of the jaw into the top of the mouth to keep the mouth closed so they could not declare the glories of God as they died. Now, I am not, I want you to hear this, I don't say that we all go out there looking for trouble. That's not what I'm saying, but don't be surprised when trouble finds you. Let's pray. Father God, I have a simple prayer this morning for the whole of this congregation. Lord, give us boldness to declare your word unashamedly. Lord, make us unashamedly followers of you. Not Bible bashers. Not people who are always arguing about this, that and the other and getting angry and upset with people because they... They, they th- take a different view. But Lord, give us boldness to declare your word. And Father, let us, Lord, rely on your Holy Spirit to do the work he has been given to do in this world, which is to convict of sin. But Lord, help us to be people who will do it with dignity, with respect, with softness and gentleness but that we won't back down just because other people get angry or upset with us. Help us recognize, Lord, we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, the person in front of me, but against principalities and powers, the kingdom of darkness who is seeking to blind the eyes of all those who don't believe and follow you. And so, Father, I just ask, Lord, help us. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit this day that we might go from this place with boldness and declare your word. Amen. Amen.